Hello and uh, welcome from Geneva. James checking in. And Jason. And so this is just kind of our field report. We wanted to kind of do the show while we were still fresh and in the same room. So we're in my uh, room at the President Wilson in Geneva, right on right on the lake. And, uh, it, you know, it's been kind of a long week, but uh, we, we did, like I said, I wanted to kind of, kind of touch base while we were still in the same place. Yeah, and before we get too jet lagged and yeah, <laughs> going home will be take some uh, take some adjusting. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So how are you feeling? You know, you had a couple of days away from the show. I've been at the show since basically since I landed. Yeah. How's things? Uh, you know, not bad. I mean, I think we both feel the same. We're both really ready to uh, to get out of here, get home. It's uh, it's fun. You know, it's great to catch up with folks and and see some new watches. But uh, it's it's you know it's tiring, and I think I think you get a little dehydrated. It's it's yeah. hot and dry in the mm-hmm. hall, and you're kind of sweating a little bit all the time, walking around carrying a bag. and Yeah, how would you characterize the show this year? Uh, you know, did, have you, did you do any writing from the show, or most of it will be kind of in context later on? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to contribute to a, a bit of a, a best-of roundup for, for Gear Patrol, which is going to publish uh, actually Monday morning. But then beyond that, uh, I've got an article coming up that's going to be about my trip to uh, Neuchâtel, which I just got back from... Uh, this afternoon, I went to visit Parmigiani there, and we can talk a little more later in the show. But it was, it was a good time. Um, I think you know, for me, the SIHH is more about networking, meeting with people, seeing got you know you in person, and and a lot of the other editors that we always are only in touch with over Instagram and meet the the brand reps. For sure, you know, seeing the watches. I think you and I both kind of agree. I think you you know you wrote me earlier today and said. You, you just you can't wait to see a five thousand dollars sports watch, you know. Yeah, I, you know, I I, re- I like the show, and and it's of course like I think the highlight is being able to s- catch up with people like yourself and 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 some other people from the industry, and certainly the the guys I work with at a blog to watch. I only see them for these shows. Yeah. But as a show, I think especially when it was in the context of kind of our TGN tastes. Yeah. This show doesn't make much sense. Um, you yeah. Know, uh, the cheapest watches you're going to see here are still, even from entry-level Swiss luxury brands, are still very expensive. You know, we had brands offering 7750 chronographs for $7,500. Right, right. And, uh, and, and it, it's, it's just, a, it's very much a, a luxury show for the sake of being a luxury show, mm-hmm. which is the right context, of course, for Gribble Forzi and Van Cleef and Vacheron and these, oh, you know, yeah. big top-tier brands. But... Basel, you get this nice mix where you yeah. might be at Patek one meeting and Zinn the next meeting, and Squala in the afternoon. Like, yeah, I used to like um, I used to like SIHH more than Basel. I've been to three Basels and about five SIHHs, and I think what I liked initially, I was sort of uh, you know wooed by the uh, sort of the you know the way you're sort of pampered here. You know, the brands really treat you well. There's the you know the free sushi and ever flowing yeah, champagne, and um, yeah, there's always lunch. You can sit down. Basically, there's tables all throughout the center of the hall. And you can sit down and eat pretty much whenever you want, as long as there's a seat. Right. And you're in a lovely hotel with Basel. Oh yeah. You're not doing a hotel. You're doing an Airbnb. Yeah. And I, I kind of, yeah, I prefer Basel by almost any stretch. And this is only my second SIHH I've done. Yeah. yeah. Four Basels. So. My my opinion is flipping. Uh, probably <laughs> last year and this year. And I think, but I had to remind myself uh, whenever I get a little bit sort of frustrated with with you know everything just being astronomically priced and just you know these far out complicated watches that. It is the SIHH. I think the HH in, in SIHH is the haute horlogerie, the high watchmaking component mm-hmm. of it, and 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 the brands that exhibit here, you know, other than arguably Bon Mercier, are really aiming, you know, shooting for the stars. It's right. like they're trying to outdo each other. Yeah, for certain. And, and and I think it's funny because it takes me a day or two to kind of recalibrate. You, normally, I I focus almost exclusively on 
TGN sort of watches. I mean, right yeah. before I came to Geneva, they published my review of the Raven Trekker 40, <laughs> which is very much the sort of watch yeah, I would buy right, and, and, right. and have really enjoyed. And then you see, you come here and you see some wonderful things and you really kind of have to shift your focus to the wider perspective of just watch appreciation because certainly I'll never be in the position to own any of these watches. Right. right. Um, Even some of the stuff that made my list is far more than I've ever spent on a watch. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, you know, I saw you a couple times this week. You're, you're of course, wearing your your much coveted 6117 Seiko World Timer that you got. Uh, How was that received? Did you? People love it. Yeah. And it's funny because you you sit down at a brand, of course, Seiko doesn't exhibit here, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons I like bringing a Seiko here. Yeah. And uh, I showed up the first night with uh, Ariel from a blog to watch and David from a blog to watch, and Ariel and David are both wearing Grand Seikos. <laughs> and it's just like, this is just the, the, the kind of level of taste that exists yeah. in a blog to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much like you don't really get that much better watch than a Grand Seiko. Right. That world timer, especially among like watchmakers, mm. they they kind of like saw it and oh, then yeah. asked what it yeah. was because it's clear yeah. it's a world timer, but you have no idea it's a Seiko, right? And they people kind of gush over you know that that the twenty four yes. hour hand has this bend in it, so yeah. it gets up over the indices, yeah. And then when they learn that it's not even a real world timer, it's like passive; you have to rotate the crown, yeah. It's just charming because it's the simplicity of it, right? And it means that it you know it comes in at a, at, a, at a cost. And you had, um, I mean, your your doctor must have. Yeah, so it was funny. I, I had my Doxa T-Graph, the, the vintage one, and, you know, it, it got some notice from folks. You know, Robert Yan from Fratello, I sat with him for lunch one day, and he, he really enjoyed looking at it. But the, the, the most fun was when, when I was at uh, the Vacheron Constantin booth, and I was getting the, the lowdown on that Celestia, which is uh, the wristwatch that they created this year. It's a unique piece, so they only made one, uh, and it's got you know, 23, 23 complications. complications yeah. and, and the guy who, who built this watch... Uh, it was a single watchmaker who assembled this, and he was really young. Like I kept joking, like, "Oh, so you started this when you were 14, you know?" Because he, he, you know, I don't know if you, you met him, but he was a really young guy. And so he was, he was. St- we're standing in the booth at the display where this this watch was hanging, and you know, we're chatting. He's telling me about the watch, and I had my arms folded, and he glanced down and he stopped everything. He said, "Is that a Doxa?" And <laughs> yeah, and I said, "Yeah." And so immediately we stopped talking about this. I don't know, million dollar yeah, watch definitely. or something for like sure, that. For sure. And uh, we, we went on for like 10 minutes and he pulls his phone out and he starts cycling through photos and he says, yeah, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big collector. And he, said, he shows me an old Ploprof that he's got. Oh, nice. Like, um, like one of those, I think they call it the Grand, like the thousand meters Omega Diver, mm-hmm. old Speedmasters. And of course I had my Speedmaster with me as well, my old one, and I pulled that out of my bag. And so we totally got sidetracked just, just talking about old, uh, more affordable watches. But uh, that was kind of a highlight. That was fun. I didn't meet any necessarily collectors, but yeah, it's nice to get this kind of reception. And I think a vintage watch gets you an extra pass yeah, when yeah. you're not wearing, a, you know, right. a Richemont brand. Right, right. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really care about any of that. I would just wear one of my travel watches for something like this. Yeah. You also brought me uh, a new strap for my... Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. For my World Timer, a 20 millimeter, like a really thin leather NATO, a brown leather NATO. It got yeah. as many compliments as the watch. Oh, really? People asked me if it was the original strap. Oh, really? Which is a bonkers question. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it looked great, and uh, I got a couple of compliments on it. And uh, I'll, I'll put a picture up at some point on on uh, Instagram. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks very much for that strap. And you have one in gray. Uh, I have in one. Gray, in, it's a gray NATO. It's killer. And, it's and a, you've got it on a speedy as we were recording this. It just looks great. Yeah, so these straps are they're made out of uh, kangaroo leather. Mm. Uh, which you know, I don't know much about the properties of kangaroo le- leather, but I've been told that it's very resilient. It's, it's very thin, like super thin, almost like a nylon NATO mm-hmm. width or, or thickness, maybe even thinner. Um, a bit stretchy, um, but super durable. 
Um, I've had another one on a watch for, for quite a while, and it works really well. And I happened to get them from a friend of mine uh, whose name is Nick Gabarro, and uh, he lives in the Twin Cities, and, and he, he uh, provides a lot of the straps for Houdinki and for um, a, a number of other um, vintage dealers and, and folks like that. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, Nick was kind enough to part with a couple, and uh, yeah, I brought one for your, your Seiko. So. I very much appreciate it. And uh, so before we get into kind of our favorites from the show, we, we like to talk gear and bags. Did you bring anything this year that, that kind of helped with the show or anything you would recommend to someone who might need to do some traveling? Or Yeah, so earlier in the year, um, we had done a couple of different episodes where we, you know, one, we did the, the whole bag episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I think we both brought interesting bags to the show. Mine was a tried and true. I, I brought my Topo Designs Mountain Briefcase. Looks so good. I which, forgot how nice it looks. Which, yeah. uh, it, it came through. I love that bag. It, it holds a lot of stuff. I, um... You know, no complaints about that, but, you know, I've covered that bag before in the past, but excellent. I, I think that's my that's my go-to bag for stuff like this. And then the, the, the real winner for me was something that I talked about on the show, and I think it was a Final Notes uh, a while back, and it was this, I think it's called the Comfort Sport Coat, uh, or Comfort Sport Jacket or something from Uniqlo. $60 sport jacket made of some sort of synthetic material that's very breathable, um, thin, comfortable. It almost wears like a cardigan sweater, but it's a sport coat in this very unobtrusive kind of charcoal gray color that goes with, you know, khakis or could wear it with jeans or whatever. Um, fantastic. Best, best investment. I brought one sport coat this year and it was perfect for the show because it was really light. Last year I made the mistake of bringing this heavy tweed wool jacket and just pouring with sweat throughout the show because the hall gets hot. No doubt. I, I wore um, a summer weight wool blazer, yeah. which is fine for the show. It wasn't as hot this year in my memory as it was last year. Yeah. But one day I wore a heavy sweater underneath it because oh, yeah. I really loved the way it looked. <laughs> and I, I didn't, I should have walked around my hotel room briefly with the outfit on to yeah, gauge right. its. Right. So then you pick up, you know, a 20 pound bag yeah. and then whatever else you've got to carry in the other hand, you know, with, with a blog watch, we have a ton of gear. So I usually have another bag with a tripod and maybe another camera in it. And before I knew it, I was just like, <laughs> I needed a vent. Yeah, right. And right. at one point, we were standing in the uh, in the Longa presentation room. Yeah. And the far end of the room, under the screen, there was like an AC. Oh, yeah. And I leaned back and like, oh, yeah, yeah, got like yeah, a, a yeah. breath of cool yeah. air up my back. And I was like, oh, this is, I'm going to stay here for a little while. <laughs> yeah, so I will I, have to pick up one of those jackets before Basel. You, I think you really should. Uh, I recommend like a, a done deal. Anybody that, that uh, you know, it's great for travel. In fact, another nice thing about it is I... To get it over here, I didn't wear it on the plane. I, mm. I folded it up. I folded it in my suitcase, which you know, real purists will say it's taboo to fold it. I always do the shoulder into shoulder. Yeah, I do too. But this one's just folded up like a sweater. Oh, nice. in your bag. Okay. No wrinkles. Pull it out. You could iron it if you wanted to. Cool. Um, so that was a real win. I, I don't do you know nearly the uh, the shooting video or or still like you do at the show. I do all that with uh, with the iPhone just for my my Instagram feed and for kind of uh, keeping track of the watches that I liked and. I recently upgraded to the iPhone 7, which I don't find that much different from my iPhone 6, other than I've got a lot more memory now, better yeah. battery life, and uh, the camera's better. It's a good camera. It's a good camera. Um, but I did bring my Nikon DF with a spare lens for my visit to Parmigiani, and I carried that in a um, little, the little Tenba pouch, Tenba, T-E-N-B-A uh, brand of bags, a uh, little padded pouch that zips shut, and it holds both of them quite nicely fit right inside my mountain briefcase Perfect. and it worked great for for carrying it to and from the u.s uh and you know just for carrying around in general now you i know you also have a tenba bag yours is bigger it's a shoulder bag how did that work out the best i mean i've talked about it at length it's the um the tenba dna uh 15 
which means that you can hold a 15-inch laptop in it. Hmm. And if I liked this bag when I was speaking in a previous episode, yeah. I'm fully in love with it now. So okay. at one point, I had um, I had all of the random accessories, so a bunch of, you know, a dozen batteries for the flash, the flash, all the little bits, cables, 20,000-hour uh, milliamp battery pack, all this gear for the GoPro, for the vlog that I was doing yeah. for a blog to watch and including the tripod, the mount with the mic. And then I had two DSLRs with full size lenses, a 24 to 150 Ooh, wow. and a 24 to 70 heavy. Uh, it was definitely heavy, but there was yeah. still room in that bag. Wow. Um, wow. so you can put an unbelievable amount of gear in it and it's sitting on the bed behind me. It doesn't look that big. It doesn't it just keeps yeah. swallowing more and more stuff. And then if you want the like camera thing, not unlike what you have from yeah. Tenba, you can just take it out. So if you really only wanted a little thing, you could put your oh, sure. small case in there and bring probably a pair of jeans and right. a couple shirts, socks. Yeah, yeah. And you could do, I mean, if I was going to go do another trip like that Porsche one, that's probably what I would take because it's less yeah. obtrusive than a backpack. Yeah. And you have more carry options. You pretty much only can put a backpack on your shoulder. Yeah, right. you can hold it right. by the top handle for a bit. Yeah. But I found this to be great. The strap's quite comfortable. It's got loads of pockets. Yeah. It's got these stretchy pockets on each side, and I was able to cram like a puffy vest. Oh, nice. So yeah. going to and from the show is a little chilly. Yeah. But then if you take a jacket, you have to check the jacket, and yeah. you have to get in a big lineup, and I, I don't really do lineups right. when when avoidable, so I would just pack this little vest for going back and forth, and that worked out uh, really well. Nice. Um, I got a, a GoPro over Christmas because we had this idea to do a daily vlog for a blog to watch so we've done six episodes we'll do the seventh episode tonight just after we record this and the gopro was great uh, very easy to use the software i found to be buggy oh not in a way where like you didn't get the shot you wanted but yeah. you know to record video it was flawless but to do these time-lapse shots that i did for kind of b-rolls yeah it would only about 10% of the time actually go into time-lapse mode. Huh. It would say it's in time-lapse mode. You go to record it and then it would do nothing. Oh. So you had to like cycle the settings to actually get it to realize. Oh yeah. It was a little annoying, but besides that, the battery life was much better than I expected. I actually never actually uh, used a second battery because I have a battery pack. Yeah. So it would go in the bag and I could just clip the USB in sure. and it would charge as I carried it around. And yeah. you're only shooting 20 second little clips. Right. And then um, I got an opportunity to shoot a bunch of uh, like nice high-resolution B-roll macro shots of people holding watches and such yeah. with the new 5D Mark IV from Canon. It's kind of their premium prosumer. Right, right. Premium. It's it's not. It's just not a sports camera. But oh, anything yeah. short of that, yeah. like the, yeah. you buy the 1DX or whatever for the sure. nine frames a second it can shoot. Yeah. But the video is unbelievable because it has a full autofocus motor controller in the camera. So you, you connect it to an L lens, even the 100-millimeter macro. Yeah. The L is stabilized, so I'm hand-shooting from across a table as somebody's talking about a watch oh, and it sure. just looks fantastic. Wow. The files are really good to work with. So, I mean, unfortunately I have, I'm a Mark three owner and I'm not going to spend $4,000 yeah. or whatever it would be yeah. to go to the Mark four, but as a rental, which is what we did to give it a test for some video, very successful. That's a really impressive camera. And I, I didn't actually shoot any uh, photos with it, but I'm sure it would have been lovely. Yeah. Um, I don't know how the photos would differ that greatly from a Mark III, right. but the software, especially because it has a touch screen, so you can pick your focus point That's really while, cool. while shooting. Yeah. And uh, uh, the software and everything I found to be really intuitive. I, I kind of picked up the video within minutes of, of huh. kind of playing with the camera. Huh. So yeah, it was, a, it was a good show for gear. I'm, I'm really happy the Tenbo worked out because now I'm done right. with yeah. picking a show bag. Yeah, right. Um, and it's unobtrusive. It's kind of a charcoal gray. Yeah. Um, it has this 
uh, go to their website and check it out. And if you needed a smaller bag to carry less stuff, but I need the ability to have the camera and the laptop all in one bag to get on the plane. Right, right. Which is, uh, which is, I think, where that becomes the killer. Because you could, there's like even Think Tank makes some big camera shoulder bags. Yeah. But they don't hold as big a laptop. They might have a iPad sleeve oh, or something. Oh, sure. So, so how was your experience vlogging? Um. Is that something you uh, you took to and, and found I, it uh, more, more difficult or less than it, you it was, thought it would be? Just like with the with Grenado, yeah, it was multiple times more work than I than I had told myself it would be. Sure. So pretty much every day we would shoot all day, and then I would bring the files home and copy 10, 15 gigs of video to my laptop and start editing in Premiere. And yeah. very quickly I realized this was going to ruin any possibility of a normal sleep schedule. <laughs> so pretty much almost every night this week I've been up till about. 4 or 5 a.m. and then I don't don't feel bad for me I would still get four or five hours of sleep yeah which isn't that bad when you're yeah. being paid to work in Geneva like oh right so sad saw yeah. watches all yeah. day yeah but you do start to like you can see because I had to point the camera at myself which I'm not generally that comfortable with yeah you could see me just get more and more tired <laughs> and the bags under my eyes get bigger and my face gets shinier and puffier <laughs> so that was all it was it was cool people uh, the the response has largely been good if you want to check that out, the goal with that was to essentially bring you as a member of the team as we moved through a day, well, then it became seven days in Geneva, and, and you get to see the inside of not only the show, which maybe you've seen in video before, but inside of meeting rooms and inside of the booths, and obviously tons of watches. It's not in-depth, we're not reviewing watches, we're not talking about specs, we're not doing presentations. Yeah, It's just kind of like a vlog, like if somebody shot a Snapchat throughout a day and kind of gathered it into a six or seven minute video. Right, right. So that's at youtube.com slash a blog to watch. They're very clearly labeled as the SIHH blog. Uh, check it out if you have any suggestions, if you hated it and have like constructive criticism, I would actually really appreciate it because YouTube's not really good for constructive criticism. Mm. People are very nice about saying that they like something and then some people just say that they hate it and they hate me, which is yeah. fine. It's feedback. It doesn't right. matter, but it's, I can't fix me. Yeah. Right. I, I could fix like editing or, <laughs> right, or, right. or, or how I say something. Yeah. But, so if you have some constructive criticism, by all means, send it my way that, you know, the grenado at gmail.com. But I, I'm on the fence as to whether or not I'll elect to do it for Basel because it was just a crazy amount of work. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the better setup would be um, like something like the uh, the Sony uh, A7. Oh, sure. And and then with a lens that could do the macro right on the camera, so you oh, could yeah. do you could talk to the camera has lovely autofocus and all that. Yeah. Spin it around and shoot, the, and then not have to manage two uh, sets of files. Yeah, right, right, right. And then I think maybe it would simplify the. Post-processing. Yeah. yeah. But you still have to bring the files in, build a story, which is what took me the most amount of time. Yeah. And I like pre-selected music and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I mean, if if the situation's right, I could see bringing it back for Basel or maybe a few days of Basel. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure I, I'm really going to sign up for another week of it. Yeah, it was funny. I, uh, you know, I suffered from jet lag, especially early in the week, and, and which meant I, you know, even if I went to bed at 1230... Uh, I was awake at three. Yeah, for and sure. And then, uh, you know, it was one one morning. I think I woke up at four o'clock, and I realized that you had posted um, on Instagram or, or or somewhere. I just checked the blog to watch uh, YouTube feed. And sure enough, there was the the blog, and I thought you you told me you were after the drinking you know whiskey at the suite or something. Yeah, you yeah. Go we make did an that edit, a and it's like, oh man. Again, yeah, it's it's definitely not a complaint. I, one, I signed up for this. Two, I still had chances to go yeah. drink whiskey with you or and, and have some lovely dinners. It's not like yeah, all I yeah. did was work. Yeah. It's just when you keep a certain schedule and you start working at midnight on something yeah. that's going to take many hours, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's fine. And it, it probably actually helps in the long run because I'll have less time zone 
right. to acclimate to if I'm used to going to bed at yeah. 5 a.m. in uh, right. UTC plus one, right? Right, right, right. So do you, you want to uh, start talking watches? Yeah, let's. I mean, I you know, one bit of feedback is kind of a segue was I, uh, a friend of both of ours, Mike Stockton, who writes for uh, Fratello Watches based over in Germany. Hi Mike. He chatted. Hi Mike. Yeah, he he chatted uh, to me briefly on uh, Facebook Messenger or something, and he said uh, he said, "What do you think of the show?" And we were kind of going back and forth a little bit, and he said, um, um, he said, "Oh, I you know I was a little disappointed." He said it, uh, it seemed to lack levity, and I said, "Do you mean sort of um, more accessible watches, maybe more um, uh, you know less complicated, more accessible watches?" And that's kind of what he meant, but I think that. It's a good way to describe a show. It's a, it's a little bit vague, but it kind of hits the mark for me because it did feel like, other than our earlier comment about everything just being astronomically expensive and complicated, it's it just kind of felt like Switzerland sort of just putting its nose to the grindstone and just like, try, we're going to try harder. Things aren't good. We're just going to keep trying harder, you and know? I also felt like you have that element which you could see in the product, yeah. but in the way it was presented, yeah. there, there was it was kind of downtoned. Yeah, you could tell that maybe they're taking to heart the fact that the financials aren't good, and, and yeah. they clearly have a a, a problem with excess yeah. in terms yeah. of stock and and costs and such. So yeah, uh, you know, with all that in mind, I mean, there were a few pieces that stood out, and, and rather than go brand by brand, let's just talk about the watches that that you and I liked. You know, yeah, for sure. Um, what I'll actually, your, what's your first? I'll, I'll start with something kind of wild, something that belies the TGN nature, which is the uh, MBNF. HM7 Aquapod. Oh yeah. Which is their kind of nod to a dive watch. It's not a dive watch. If you talk to them, they're not telling you to take it diving. Yeah. They're not it's not even that useful as a diver. Yeah. But as an object of uh, of design and and high-end watchmaking. Yeah. I mean MBNF never fit, you're never bored. Right. And I actually think that they quite routinely make very beautiful, not boring things. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like quite a bit. And today I take a moment when you know, I was here last year for my first SIHH and Today I took a, a moment this afternoon to go to the Mad Gallery. Oh yeah, because it just makes me feel great to know that these crazy. And sure, they're stupid, expensive, and I'm never going to afford one. Right. But it makes me feel kind of good that they're out there. Yeah, and the the cool thing about MBNF is the watches are inaccessible to the average person, but the the people at the work of the, the brand are people. without exception. They're the most accessible people. No doubt. Such nice people. Even all, all the way, way up to, to Max. Max. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the Mad Gallery. Anybody that's coming to Geneva, passing through, whatever. Highly recommend. Yeah, you've it's you've just wasted cool this city if you don't yeah. go to Mad Gallery and then yeah. across the street to Davidoff. Yes, the vintage uh, watch. I dealer. tried to go yeah. there, uh, closed briefly today, so I didn't make it. But yeah. Mad Gallery's great. I really like the Aquapod, the luminous treatment. It's in one of the vlogs. You can see us charge it up and and, and film it. The loom is really cool. The bezel feels great. It doesn't refer to anything in terms of uh, timekeeping or tracking time because there's not a traditional rotational time display. It's right. two rotating. Well, a disc and a dome that refer to a vertical line sure. on the center crystal. Yeah, it's very easy to read. You're just not going to read elapsed time with it. Yeah, in that in that metric, or at least not simply. I, I you know I'm trying to rack my brain to see if there's a way that you could use that bezel. You're not going to use it in the traditional fashion. Yeah, but it's it's a, a beautiful thing. The black and gold one is is very cool, but the blue one is just stunning. Yeah, and uh, I, I you know, we're not going to spend a lot of time on on a watch like that because it doesn't really fit the mold. Right. But if I'm if I'm want to talk about the sorts of watches that yes. you come to SIHH to see. Yeah. Um, I think the Aquapod is, uh, is is right up there. And, and the gentleman at the Mad Gallery said they have something really, really fantastic in store for March. He was very oh, excited wow. about it oh, and cool. would not tell me anything or show me any pictures on his phone, which is nice. rare for this industry. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so I, I, I'll, I'll kick it off with my own inaccessible piece in that it's, it's, it's really inaccessible. The Richard Meal RM50-3, oh, I think it is. Yeah. Um, it's their McLaren, the McLaren tribute F1. watch. Crazy watch. Um, it weighs 40 grams, mm -hmm. or actually 38 grams or something like that, uh, because it's made with all sorts of space-age products like uh, graphene and titanium and... Uh, uh, even the strap. Uh, did you get a chance to hold I it, did, try it yep, on? The yeah. strap is... It's like a super elastic. It's, it's, it's an elastic strap. It's funny, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, the Erica's original yeah, uh, straps. I mean, it's that, it's that stretchy uh, elastic. Uh, in a, in the one I tried on, you know, it's a red strap. And the, I, I'm not a huge Richard Mille fan, but there's something I could see being instantly addictive wearing a watch that light on your wrist. And... And it's, it's interesting looking. It's visually very interesting. Yeah, I also found that it wasn't as hard to read as other ones he's had in the yeah, past. Yeah, It was the hand treatment and the curvature of the of the crystal kind of matched the depth of the dial right. in a manner that allowed a lot of light yeah. into the movement. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, this is a ludicrous rich guy thing. $980,000, folks. That's... Before you pay any taxes, it's yeah. like 1.053 if you yeah. had to pay VAT, I think. Yeah, so I broke it down to, uh, on Instagram, I put... Uh, I think I broke it down. It's like $25,000 per gram. So yeah. it's crazy. I, I mean, it, it's it's a wonderful thing yeah. to get a chance to see in person. It's laughably expensive. It's yeah. ludicrously complicated. Yeah. It's I, Who knows what the markup is over the raw materials that are represented there. Right. Um, but then you add in the skills of designing and making and sourcing the people who can make all the various elements because they don't make, sure. yeah. uh, make all, the, all of the pieces. Yeah. And getting to see it in person is a remarkably kind of like fun thing. And putting it on your wrist is crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's probably like when you got to drive a Bugatti at the yep, Pebble Beach a couple years ago. It's like you right never, you'd never get, you'd never get a chance to yeah. see this and stuff. And I mean, in terms of, uh, you could imagine somebody who kind of maybe lives and breathes F F1 as a high-level fan or as a McLaren owner. Sure, yeah. The tie-ins with that really crazy, like, 1% lifestyle yeah. is so obvious. Yeah. And that's what Richard Mellon, you know, that's what yeah. they... Yeah. That's where they operate. They don't have to sell many watches. Right, right. So, Should we move in a sliding scale going down, or you want to just pick, pick um, a, let's just pick a random one. I'll just pick one? a random one. The, the next one I saw that I really loved, and this is a very strange choice for me, it's also not that TGN, yeah. but I think it could be yeah. a little bit more TGN, is yeah. the um, the Cartier Drive Extra Flat. Mm, I have that too. So yeah. if I was going to pick my, like a favorite dress watch yeah. from this week, that yeah. that one is it. Unfortunately, it's only in white gold. Right. So the price is 17000 Swiss francs, something yeah. like that, more yeah. than I'm ever going to spend, yeah. on certainly on a dress watch. Yeah. But if you remember the drive from last year, they had a very domed crystal, yes. and so does the moon phase from this year. Yeah. And it's reflective. Right. Even on the white dial, yeah. all you see is reflections. Right. On this, it's a flat crystal, yep. Piaget hand-wound movement, no yep. seconds hand, no date. Yeah. And goodness sakes, yeah. It's 6.6 .6 millimeters thick. Yeah. It's, it was on a beautiful leather, a uh, gray leather yes. strap. Yeah, it was gorgeous. It was really good on wrist. It's the first Cartier I ever put on where I was like, oh, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. I, I totally right. get right. the aesthetic. Yeah. If I wore a dress watch every day, this would be it. Yeah. And I think yeah. it, with a steel, if they were deciding to make a steel version, which they didn't certainly didn't right. say they were going to, yeah. that could be yeah. a really interesting alternative to... I mean, a lot of, like, if you just think, so it's a Piaget hand with a very high-end movement. Yeah. I argue, arguably better than the movement you're getting in something like a Royal Oak, which is a very right. old movement and right. archaic design at this point. Yeah. I, maybe those aren't comparable things. Yeah. But the pricing wouldn't be that far off. And if right. you went in steel, I mean, obviously in, in the precious metal. You'd think it would knock it by half, I would think, right? Predictably, they could come in, they could come in kind of above a, an entry-level tank. Yeah. And yeah. below any of the precious stuff. You know, right. maybe around where the car, the calibrated cardiac diver is or something like that 
Yeah, I and, love that watch. Yeah, if you're going to wear a dressy piece and, and maybe if you're more of a TGN warrior on the weekends, yeah. that thing would be killer and I think it would be amazing in yeah. steel. So yeah. good, good job on Cartier for that. Normally that's a brand that I kind of like go through the meeting and instantly forget all the stuff because it's either... Un- and they have some unbelievably fancy ones. You see the the, the one that it's all diamonds <laughs> and it has a panther's head <laughs> yes, on the dial right, that's right, all made right. of diamonds. Yeah. And the panther's head rotates throughout the yeah, day. Yeah, I don't know what's up with panthers, but Cartier is all about panthers. Yeah, yeah. The thing about Cartier to me is that, you know, I never got them for years. I mean, and, and I think something happened in the past 10 years uh, when they brought in this, uh, the woman who heads up the... Uh, Car- Carol. Carol for STA. Yeah. They, they, a, a switch got flipped and they, they're suddenly do amazing things with their watches. I mean, that one uses a Piaget movement, but um, the in-house Cartier stuff is is really tremendous. And, and when I go to their meetings here at SIHH, I'm always blown away by the sheer number of new watches and interesting and amazing creations that yeah. they come up with, none of which, other than this drive and maybe the diver a couple of years ago, are of any interest to me. Yeah. But I, I, stay, I sit through that entire meeting, even when they hand out the women's watches. Because yeah. they're like... They're the most far out wild pieces, you know? The one with the panther where the, the paw indicates the oh, time. Oh, yeah, crazy. I mean, it's crazy stuff. I didn't, I'm, I'm not looking at it and hating it. I'm yeah. just, I kind of, yeah. I marvel at its near absurdity versus yeah. my taste. Yeah, yeah. Still really impressive yeah. as far yeah. as all the technical and aesthetic attributes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, there was another watch. I'll, I'll grab the next one. I think almost unanimously, anybody you talked to, at least in our kind of space that was walking around the show, said that. Uh, a favorite of the of the show, if not the favorite, was the the master control watches that um, yeah that JLC uh, kind of updated for this year. I think it's the twentieth or twenty fifth anniversary of master control. I'm not sure. And um, just great watches, three pieces. There's a uh, a time and date, uh, just a time and date version. Then they've got the, the the two register chronograph, and then the geographic, which is uh, like a second time zone piece. The time and date. And the geographic are both 39 millimeter watches, perfect diameter. Mm-hmm. The chronograph is bumped up to 42. Still feels amazing. Still feels amazing. They all have this super clean aesthetic, like really clean. It's a sector dial, bright silver color. Silver color with these blue accents that, like, when you look at it in the right light, it's yep. like really blue, and sometimes it's not. I didn't notice the blue until I took a photo, and then I, you know, I clicked the zoom button quickly oh, to yeah. check the focus. Yeah. And then I got hit with a big one yeah. of, the, mar- one of the, the markers on the um, yeah. the scale on the subdial, and it's yeah. bright blue. Yeah. And I'm a sucker for um, two register chronographs. The I, I, I'm I'm more fond of kind of the, the round sort of mushroom-shaped pushers. That would be my only gripe with that, because it has kind of the rectangular pushers, but Love all three watches. I know you're real fond of the Geographic. I think of the three, I would I would probably just grab the the time and date automatic, the 39 millimeter. Well, I mean, we said in that last episode in our Dream Watches that we wanted more yep. pseudo explorers. Yeah, right. If you look at the Explorer and you don't like it, which is fine, sure. Yeah. This is an entirely different aesthetic. Yep. Super legible, but no loom. That's important to mention, that's I suppose. True. Yeah. But it is very legible. That uses these black kind of skeleton hands that mimic these like irradiated. It's like a syringe hand. Loom hands. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Um, but it has it, so it looks a bit like a vintage watch with a loom has fallen out yes, of it. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, which I think is going to be very divisive. Yeah. I heard a few people say they really didn't like huh. the treatment, but huh, interesting. I think they're just either so purist that they can't appreciate something new. Yeah. Or um, or, or they kind of missed it. Like because I think that all three look really oh, good and are beautiful. so legible. Such winners. And the the time and date um, price was fifty seven hundred bucks. Yeah. So right around yeah. that of an explorer. Incredible. And, you know, with with a discount at a dealer. JLC or... automatic with date. Oh, incredible. And you yeah. could, I mean, on a if you put that on a brown leather strap, you could wear that with anything forever. Yep. And I bet you it would look 
real good on a NATO. Yeah, I bet. I bet yeah. it would too. Because yeah. it has the standard lugs. Like there's nothing nothing holding you back from that being like easy to put all sorts of straps on. Fantastic. What an watches. absolute winner. Yeah. The the Geographic has uh, like a crown at 10 o'clock or thereabouts that uh, rotates uh, a city ring at the bottom. And then that corresponds to a subdial, which, which has a second clock face yeah basically. if you if you find anything any i mean you can see this on uh the you can see the new master controls on their website but if you find anything with the geographic in the name it'll have that mechanism which you know has that big cutout at yeah. around six o'clock yeah and great it's it's it's, it's still so easy to read i mean it's 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 fantastic yeah what's next for you next one for me um so i, I had a quick meeting with the guys from triton Oh yeah, right. So this right. is a these are uh, this is a, a, a gentleman that uh, Triton was a dive watch company in the '60s that actually was positioned price wise above Rolex. Yeah, and this gentleman bought the Triton the rights to Triton a few years ago as he was a avid collector. He has now re released kind of a, a new vintage. I mean, it's very very similar. It's just a little bit bigger. Yeah. The, this Triton Subphotic mm. or Subphotique. Yeah. Um. So it's it's meant to reference. The, uh, the depth in water where light starts to fade. Sure. You know, aside from being quite expensive for, uh, you know, a micro brand. Yeah. Not unlike the Manta. Right. It, it's impressive. You know, it uses a, a sop rod. It, 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 the case is beautifully made. It has all the, everything you would expect from watches. So I think it's about six, six to 7,000 uh, euros. Sure. Which is a fortune for yeah. a watch. Yeah. Uh, in, in my perspective, especially a watch where, whether or not you know Triton matters, but, even if you know Triton, they don't have like a brand cachet. It's a relaunched brand. Yeah, and I, I think it's at least worth going to their website to look at the the watches and the aesthetic because they look really cool. The crown is at twelve, and now to screw down like a proper the original was like a cap that went on a smaller crown on the oh, inside. Yeah, yeah, and they've launched a bracelet, which is the new one for this year. I want to say the watch is forty or forty one millimeters, hmm. and then no crown to dig in on either side. It's, and the crown was actually easy to access. Last year's version with the rubber strap was the one that I would wear, but now they've launched a really nicely made bracelet, very yeah. high-end feeling bracelet. Yeah. And uh, a few different dial options. So there's like a Pelagos blue, like a flat blue. Hmm. There's a, a more uh, sunburst blue, a black, and a gray option. Yeah. And all of them were really cool. I was, I was impressed. I, I think they have a battle ahead of them to establish yeah. operating at that price point. And, and I asked him, I said, you know, who, who buys a Triton from you? Oh, yeah. Which is a favorite question of mine, yeah. and he said, it's, "You know, it's it, it's guys that have all the other things you would expect a watch fan to have, and they mm. want something that they don't see every day." Yeah, yeah. And at that point, I get it. Yeah. If you're if you're an avid kind of Rolex and Omega that, that like in that space, yeah. then this would be the same as buying a watch you may have bought six months ago or something like that, and right. and, and and you want you want kind of something new, and this is definitely something new. It's a locked in aesthetic. Yeah. It's a beautiful reference. I I I liked it. I mean, from the photos, yeah. I didn't meet with him, but uh, I noticed Todinki also put up a, a yeah, review sure. of it on their yeah, website. Yeah, they got it up. I haven't, you know, I haven't written anything about it, but they got it up right away. I, I'm I'm really I'm really fond of you, know, you and I. We we see a lot of dive watches, and and it's always neat to see one that references kind of a, a great name from the past, or kind of does something a little bit different. You know, we talked about the uh, the Unimatic a while ago, totally different price range, but yeah, of course, know, people doing really creative stuff rather than just sort of regurgitating the same style and. The fact that you know he, this guy, you know, he's he's managed to engineer that 
crown at the top and and you know soap rods a solid movement the case is a very complex shape too it has a, a lot of faceting oh yeah yeah uh, it's, it's not a simple shape the bezel's very nice it's, and he went oh. out of his way to make sure it's 60 clicks he doesn't like 120 oh, clicks and i'm with him on that yeah yeah and it feels great uh yeah. the loom is fantastic it's a loomed bezel as well huh. Uh, I, I dig it. I mean, like I said, uh, the the price is going to be the issue for most people, not unlike a lot of watches at that price point that aren't Rolex, definitely, right? Definitely, yeah. I mean, and this is now cheaper than a Rolex. You keep in mind what a new sub cost. This, right. is, this is a bit less. Right. But uh, I, I think if you're a dive watch fan, you should at least go to their website and check out the look. Because if you don't know Triton, and I only knew it because there's a couple guys on Instagram that have the old ones. Oh, yeah. And, and so if you don't know Triton, I think that's uh, at least worth checking out. Yeah. And if you can see one in person, all the better because they're cool. Yeah. Cool. So, and to be clear, you saw, you met with them here at the hotel or outside of the show. They, yeah, yeah, they yeah. Were, they he, went to he was exhibit. just kind of kicking yeah. around and met him in the lobby. Yeah, Wilson. yeah, that's cool. Back at the Palexpo, another brand that uh, uh, was exhibiting this year that had been absent for a handful of years. Uh, they were there the first couple of years that I started going to SAJH, and then they went to Basel, and now they're back. It's Gerard Perigo, GP. Uh, their big launch this year was they brought back the Laureato, which is a famous design from their past i think it, i'm I, i'm probably gonna i want to you know, say late 70s annoy people but yeah it's definitely a, like a 70s mid, mid to late 70s yeah with that uh angular you know bezel um kind of along the lines Genta, of the nautilus Genta-esque, yes. i would say it's it's really right if you averaged out a nautilus yeah. an ingenieur yes and exactly. uh and and the royal oak you're gonna yeah. get a laureate and i don't so. think Genta had a hand in this i'm not i don't think and people can certainly correct us I don't uh, know enough. If, of, I don't know the history wrong. of that watch specifically. But uh, it's beautiful. Um, it has this sort of hobnail pattern on the dial. You know, texture on the dial comes in like a blue dial, and they, they make a titanium version. They make a steel version. They make you know, I think a two tone version. Turbine. There's a there's a 42 millimeter version, which was a size that looked good on my wrist. But they also have the 38 millimeter Laureato, um, and then they have a 34, which uh, uh, uses an in-house quartz movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll appeal to women, I think, and uh, I, I don't know. I really like that watch. It's it's kind of uh, it's refreshing. It's okay. Yes, it's Royal Oak looking. It's uh, engineer like, but mm-hmm. it's different. You know, the only thing I would say that it's guilty of for me is I found it bland. Mm. It's beautifully made. As soon as you pick it up, yeah, it's yeah. it's also not cheap. Yeah, that's true. Um, one, it's GP, so there yeah. that's a, a higher end yeah. thing immediately. And then it's not it's not like it's their entry level line. At right, least when right. they announced. I don't know the price of these ones now. Maybe you remember. Uh, but when they announced the Laureato and displayed the kind of prototype last year yes, around yeah, SIHH, yeah. I want to say it was about thirteen grand. Yeah, and I think these are 9 10 11 somewhere in there. Which is yeah. a bit dear. Yeah. That, that aside, price is such a subjective thing. It's not really worth spending a lot of time on. It is GP. They're beautifully made. Yeah. The other watch that I, you know, just to continue down their line, I mean, Laureata was great. I enjoyed that. That was their big piece this year. Did you year. like that? Uh, the, the, the WWTC. Oh. They put it in a 1966 case, which yeah. is the first time they've done that. The WWTC has gone through a lot of different, that's their, um, I don't remember what it stands for. It's the world time yeah, piece. Yeah, it's, it's their like. WWTC, I can't remember what it's called. I don't remember what it stands for either, but it's yeah. their legit full world time caliber. Full world time caliber. And they've been making it for years. You know, for some time it was 44 millimeters, then it was a little bigger. They've made it in all sorts of case they made materials. They that sort of black. The more sporty sort of one. Like they made like one with like, yeah, yeah right. and they made one that was like with black, a black case with red yes. accents. Yeah, yeah. They made tons of stuff. Them. And I've always liked them actually. I've always Agreed. really liked Great that. movement. But this one, it's it's in a legit, you know, dress dressy case. The mm-hmm. 1966 line is their one that really references kind of the classic era of, of watches. And, and in that case, it is fantastic. It's got, um, a lot of symmetry to it because it has the the crown on either side directly across at nine and three. One for 
for uh, turning the, the city ring. Did you post a photo of it? I don't think I did. Okay, so no. you can go you can go to my Instagram. I posted a photo of it on the bracelet, which is not how I would buy oh, it. Oh yeah. But yeah. it was only seven hundred bucks more for what is ostensibly like a very nice, like nice bracelet. Yeah. I would just wear it on a strap if I was in that position. But if you're looking for a fancier sort of world timer, a step up from something like a GMT master, you're gonna wear a suit. Yeah. Killer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Really thin. Yeah. Forty millimeters? Yeah, it's yeah. forty. Yeah. And a killer, you know, it has a bright kind of uh Creamy silver dial, Gorgeous. very legible still, and it's not like some of the WWDCs were chronographs as well. Yeah, and they got quite busy with the chronograph in the center. And, yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I think that was a killer watch, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. What else do you have? Well, I think this pretty much brings me to um, my last one that was actually shown at the show, and I know this is one that would kind of suit you too. Is um, yeah. this is kind of the first time that I put on a Panerai, a modern Panerai that I instantly wanted. Oh yeah. Actually, any Panerai. Yeah. I, I like the brand's aesthetic. Mm-hmm. but they never suit my wrist. They're right. often, the coolest ones are often very big. Yeah. And certainly that's the case when it comes to the submersible, historically speaking. As of SIH 2017, we now have a 42 millimeter steel Panerai submersible. And it's like, there's like 12 words in the name. <laughs> it's a 1950s case, which is, I think, almost all Luminors now. Yeah. Panerai heads, I'm sure, could prove me wrong. But the... Um, it's 42 millimeters in steel. It's a three days movement. Mm-hmm. I put it on and it, I, like, I kind of fell in love instantly. Yeah. All this time of trying on 44 and 47 millimeter yeah. submersibles and yeah. being like, yeah. this is so good, yeah. but. Yeah, exactly. And Isn't it funny when, when it was lying on the table, on the presentation table, at least when I first saw it, it's lying next to all of these, these giant other submersibles. It, it, almost, it looks almost like it's shrunken. It, it had such a miniature look to it, but it's perfect. Even the strap looked really narrow. I was like looking at it as you, I tried it on. Did you bend that strap? Yeah, it's a. It's, so the strap has like the, multiple. They're not hinges because they don't. Yeah. They're not actually articulated. Right. Right. But there's like thin parts in the strap, like yeah. a vent. Yeah. Yeah. You can fold that strap all the way against yep. itself with yep. the vent. So comfortable. It like takes the Seiko vented strap like to a whole new level, and, and it's the most wonderful soft rubber. Yeah. I mean, I've always loved the Panerai rubber straps, but great. Great piece, and it looks good on the wrist. Subdial at nine with a blue yeah, uh, yeah, hand, just yeah. for a little pop of color. Yeah, yeah. I would absolutely wear that watch. Uh, Eighty six hundred U.S. dollars for the steel. They make a rose gold with a black bezel insert. Yeah. That like, in if somebody color corrects their photo wrong, you'd think is bronze. Oh yeah. Man, yeah. also cool, but um, yeah, no yeah. way I'm buying a gold. Yeah. Uh, Panerai, but with something like that, maybe on the used market, you're gonna it's gonna yep. be floating around uh, the price of a sub. Right. Right. So that's a pretty cool watch, and yeah, it's super yeah. wearable. And if you've always, if, if like me, you've always kind of been into the aesthetic, yeah. But yeah, you know, not going to wear a forty-four or even or the or the forty-seven sub. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I just think I was really, really just kind of happy to see that they brought that aesthetic to such a wearable size. Right. Really um, cool. There were two other dive watches at the show actually that I that I liked, um, and we'll kind of close out with with divers, as is befitting our show here. Um, you know, one, I think it doesn't bear a lot of mentioning because it's kind of a retread of uh, stuff that they've shown before. It was the Audemars Piguet, uh, the Royal Oak Offshore Divers. They've they've sort of merged the, the original steel uh, Rue Diver, which I really liked yep. know, many years ago. I got a chance to dive with one. And then they kind of moved into these different funky case materials for a couple of years. And last year they had this... Uh, the, the colors. The Diver Chronograph with all the colors. Well, now this year they've taken the, the steel diver... And released that in a number of these funky colors, and the colors are a bit much. I mean, and and the watches are of course expensive, so you know you'd have to be kind of a rich guy to crazy expensive to kind of like very expensive, yeah. You know, go out and buy a really. Yeah. But the bright green this year is not a boutique exclusive. Yeah. The green one yeah, of the right. chronograph was Geneva only. Yeah, 
I like the navy blue one with the yellow. Yeah. Um, and then I, I asked, and they all come with two straps. Oh, yeah. So you get the bold color. So, like, the navy blue one sure. comes with, I think, a bright yellow strap. Yeah, yeah. And then it comes with a blue strap. And great straps, too, again. They're really great really straps. Really great straps. They're, as, as they should be. They have this little bit of a texture to yeah. them. They're, they're, yeah, they're Kind of like, like Teflon. Yeah, yeah. But very soft and yeah. uh, great buckle. Yeah. All, all the stuff that you need to yeah. start to justify that sort of a price point. Yeah. But really cool. And then they have, the only, I mean, it like, I understand that it's part of the design, so this is a dumb thing to, to pick at them about, but yeah. using that internal bezel is a joke. Yeah. Yeah, you have to is. back off a very difficult crown that's right. very in, inside the case. Yeah. But once it's open, it's um it's notched, Yep. so you move yep. one click at a time, which yeah. is kind of like a Bramont's roto-click, which yeah. I really like. Yeah. But with the Bramont one, you can do it while it's on your wrist. I don't know. I couldn't imagine... I think I was able to do it it's when at, I wore it. I, it's but at it's 10. Never, you're not going to yeah. do it in the surface no. when you're bobbing around. No. No. So it's it's not practical, but it is a fun watch. I mean, I've worn cool. those a few times, and and in that color, I mean, again, it, it's a crazy watch. It's silly, but I, I liked it. It It'd was be, fun to put on. Have they ever translated the uh, the octagonal bezel to a rotating mass mm, external? No, no. Have they? I not that I know so. of. No, I don't think so. I'd love uh, if if they have, and yeah. you're a big AP fan, send me a link to that because I, I just don't know the watch. Yeah, but that would be neat. That'd be pretty because cool. Because it'd be yeah, there'd be some grip built right, into exactly. just that shape itself. Kind of like the Seamaster's, you know, with the scallop bezel. It'd yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. Get that same sort of vibe to it. Yeah. Hopefully, more grip than that scallop yeah, bezel. Yeah, but yeah, I want. I always wondered, you know, because even with the Aqua Timers. They have you turn the exterior yes, bezel and it right. rotates the inside, which is yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, um, I wonder if they could do the same thing on that, or simply put a scale on. Maybe that val maybe that violates right the agenda design right. of the right. octagonal right. and with the, the screws. screws. And yeah, you don't yeah. want to mess with any of that. So fair enough. The, the last diver I'll mention um, that I actually didn't get to handle, but it was in the window was a Ulysse Narden. Oh, I played with this uh, one. Did you? Yeah, the, the Leloc uh, mm -hmm. diver, I think it's called. Yeah. And it's, it's it's based on uh, a vintage diver from you know probably the sixties yeah, uh, that they had 66 or in the window display uh, that had a tropic strap on it and and you know really attractive old diver which I, I'm told you know Ulysse wasn't exactly a, a big brand back in those days and there were a ton of dive watches that were in that same case with the same look so whatever I mean it almost has a like a it looks a bit like the Unimatic looks a bit the like hand, the Unimatic the in the color exactly there's yeah. the latter hands um, but it also kind of conjures to me a bit of the diver sixty five yep for certain look as well or, yeah. or kind of a, like the original sort of '60s Oris diver. Yep. Um, so they're they're kind of coming out with this new one later in the year that uh, that's going to use a, a Ulysse in in-house movement with with some similar aesthetics, like a sailcloth strap. My only quibble was that it's got a sub-seconds instead of a center seconds, which I don't find as and the, I don't know the, as aesthetically the, nice. But. I was told it was pre-production, so that they were mm. going to change some things. But the bezel was like black polished. Oh. So I almost couldn't see the numerals in oh, most scenarios. Oh yeah, yeah. And I found the crystal definitely needed a better uh, oh. anti-reflective treatment like oh, whether yeah. they went with um it was it was um it was a bubble style crystal but it was very um it was very close but yeah. like the docks is nicer. Oh, okay. In terms of sure. where you see some reflection on the curve. Yeah, right. And then right, none through right. the center. Oh, sure. They just I mean and again it's a it's a pre-production thing like the strap wasn't even the right width. Oh, I see. Yeah, um, but so cool, cool to see. So, definitely cool. I mean, there were a few divers. It wasn't you, too you, big. If you looked, if you looked hard enough, you could mm -hmm. find a couple of sort of TGM worthy watches. Ten ish so. for that. Yeah, a bit much. You know, actually. UN uh, is a uh, proven, very yeah. high end manufacturer that doesn't get much attention from watch nerds unless they're UN watch nerds. Yeah. So ten is really nothing for that brand. That's true. That's uh, true. So you need to keep that within metric. I mean, they showed us the Innovision two 
which is not a real watch at this point. They don't actually know if they're going to make it. It uses glass bridges. Oh, really? It's, I'll wow. show you a photo of it. I'll put. I'll, wow. I'll get a photo up on um, wow. on Instagram. And then it uses a uh, massless hmm. or a, a winding system with no rotating mass. So it's a circular gear set yeah. with four springs. Yeah. So any motion, yeah. one spring is in recession and oh. three rotate the spring. <laughs> Google the uh, uh, Ulysses Nardin grinder. Is what oh, it's called. the grinder. Yes. Yeah. This is one yeah. of the coolest things that they yes. showed as far as technology. Yes. And this is a really tech happy brand. They yeah. love yeah. innovation yeah. like this. Yeah. So they had a big one, like a box of 10 inches by 8 inches yeah. with one of these. And if you shook the box in any metric, yeah. they had a sticker on the on the winding mass yeah. Yeah. that would show you that no matter what you did to the box, it turned Sure. It turned the center gear. Oh, yeah. Um, so you could shake it violently and it would turn quite quickly. You could shake it a bit and it would. Huh. So it's about the tension, the supporting tension between these four kind of leaf springs, yeah, if, you, right, if right. you will. Yeah. And when one is compressed all the way, the others are allowed to reach to their next oh, gear. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it only moves in one direction. It's huh. if they can, uh, he, you know, they said they're not sure how to put that in a watch, <laughs> but there's no reason they couldn't figure right. it out at some point. Yeah. But this, um, InnoVision had 10 new technologies wow. that they're putting in one watch. And yeah. then I, they're not going to build the watch, but they were using it as a platform to show off the tech. Concept watch, basically. Yeah. Go to their website yeah. and yeah. check it out. It's deep, deep watch nerdery. Whatever you think of Ulysses Nardin, if, 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 if you don't know the brand that well, they're so deep into tech yeah. and uh, mechanical know-how. Right. Something like this is really, I mean, think of what they do with the Freak. Still one of the most amazing movements oh, I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah, I don't like the aesthetic. I, right. I don't think I would wear a freak. Right. I saw a couple that were kind of blacked out and like more tactical that were pretty cool. Yeah. But uh, you have to respect the technical standpoint of what they're doing there, oh, which yeah. is uh, which is cool. And if they can if they can make a really compelling diver at just a little bit over a Submariner, I don't see why that That's wouldn't true. have a yeah. market, right? Yeah. Right. Right. If somebody That's would true. enjoy that. Maybe they don't want a sub, or they want. Yeah. They already have um, a more expensive UN diver, the sure. Marine, or yeah, or right, so right, right. I think there's room for it, and and uh, it certainly as a prototype, it looked most of the way there. Yeah. Anything else stand out for you? Um, you know that that's kind of it. Those are kind of those were kind of my picks. Yeah, um, I, I got a quick chance. I bumped into uh, Robert from Fratello. Yeah. So I got to see his Speedy Tuesday. The oh old, the yeah, Omega. I saw that too. Yeah. Of all of it, what stood out most for you when you had it in your hand? Immediately, I mean, there's a lot, but immediately, it's the the finish. It's all brushed. It's the all brushed matte. case. That's yeah. the old. That, uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Like I couldn't quite figure out why yeah. I was so drawn to it. Yeah, I know. Immediately, like I'm wearing a, an old Speedy now, yeah. and it's and a great it's, looking it's, watch. But it's like it's so different looking because yeah. of that matte case. It looks and the matte so bezel. good. Yeah, the bezel's matte. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Yeah, it, and it, and it's as good in person as those photos are. Yep. So whoever uh, and if any listeners reserved one. Yeah. Send us an email just just for a congrats. I think yeah, that's really yeah, cool. Yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, whoever gets them, I think uh, I think we'll be getting a really cool watch. I was happy to see it in person. Yeah. The you know white sub dials are really cool. And uh, but it was that case that instantly oh, yeah, was like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It subtle, subtle light makes it look, the yeah. biggest difference. Yeah. Oh, really cool. Yeah, and I, I just thought it was so neat to uh, that Omega did something like that. That a big brand, a giant brand yeah. like Omega, is listening to its audience and its fans and and the you know this this guy this blogger who you know five years ago came up with this concept for a hashtag yep i mean it, it's just uh it's good uh, on them it's yeah good on them don't you know. overdo it don't water it down don't water down that success such a custom but man piece it, to this guy's tastes and, and they like, picked a legit yep 
guy to yeah, partner up totally, with. Totally, totally. And sold it through their site and 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 all that. And and I thought like through Omega. Yeah. All the fulfillment's done through the brand. It's you know it's not yeah. being done through Fratello. I think they did it. I think that's a model of how you could do something like yep. this with a brand. I agree. I agree. And uh, and have it make sense. Yeah. Really cool. Congrats on that. Yeah. What are you feeling? Some uh, final notes? Get this done? Yeah, let's wrap it up so we can uh, maybe get some sleep, get some dinner, and get some sleep. Yeah, so I uh, looking at our, uh, well, I've got handwritten notes here on some hotel stationery and glancing over at your <laughs> screen. I, I think we're both, uh, we've decided to go Patagonia. I think so, yeah. So uh, you, why, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, so I uh, I was kind of just killing time one day, and I, I uh was looking up uh, kind of ski porn videos on YouTube and came across one called Tantalus, which uh, I immediately sent to James because I know it's a it's a peak in British Columbia that he's been talking about climbing for a, a yeah, couple a, of a years and and a, and a peak yeah. and um, this happened to be a, a nice wintry you know ski descent of, of Tantalus. It was a climb and then a ski descent of Tantalus, uh, which was really cool. But it kind of took me down this rabbit hole because Patagonia has a really great YouTube channel. I mean, and they've they've got I don't know the exact count, but they've got a, they've got dozens, if not hundreds, of of just cool short videos, including some of the ones maybe we've even talked about on the show before. You know, snippets from like 180, 180 degrees south, and right. some of this other stuff. And it's just worth checking out because you know, as you know, uh, on the show we you know we love you know sort of this outdoor enthusiast, uh, uh, you know, skiing, uh, surfing, sailing, uh, climbing. You know, all that it, it's got all of that on it. So you know, just just check out the the Patagonia. YouTube feed and and you know let us know what you think and uh, it was great but uh, you know speaking of, of Patagonia you had uh, directed me to a really interesting article or, or yeah, podcast actually oddly enough we must have been on the same wavelength as far as outer uh, you know outerwear goes but the uh, N- NPR has a new podcast uh, hosted by I, I believe the same guy that does their uh, TED Radio Hour oh yeah Guy and, Raz yeah it? thank yeah, you yeah. and uh, I, I like him quite a bit I lo- love his voice yeah and uh, it's called How I Built This. And it's innovators and, and entrepreneurs talking about how they built their company and how they made decisions along the way. Yeah. This is right up my alley. I love these sorts of stories. Yeah. And I've listened to a bunch about brands I didn't know or care anything about. I Actually, the Cliff Bar one is really good. The oh, guy that I created bet. Cliff Bar oh. was really interesting. Yeah. I listened to one all about a, uh, a woman that created a service where they drive up in a van and give you, they blow dry your hair. <laughs> called Dry Bar. But oh it's like hugely successful. That's awesome. Yeah, really, really. And then uh, the woman that created Spanx, of course, she's now a billionaire. Yeah. Great story. But my favorite of all of them, because I learned a bunch about the company and I got to kind of experience Yvonne Chouinard's spirit yeah, yeah. in this recording is yeah. the how I built this for Yvonne Chouinard, the yeah. creator, founder of Patagonia. And it's, it's really funny because at any point where business would go one direction, right. he goes the other. Yeah, yeah. Purposely keeps the company small. Yep. He owns the company. They're not going to be publicly traded. They're, he's not interested in growth. He's interested in sustainability. Yeah. When he starts saying in, in, the, in the interview, he's talking about how they try and make decisions based on how will this reflect on the company 100 years from now. Yeah. And you start to understand why they go to the extent of like their wetsuits are almost entirely eco-friendly, like their whole process. They've abandoned neoprene. Yeah. Even built so they're using neoprene. special yeah. rubber in solar panel, uh, solar supported factories yeah to uh to make their wetsuits it's fascinating uh, even if you don't necessarily care about any of these topics i don't care about most of the ones i've listened to yeah i just love a story of somebody starting a business and doing their own thing and yeah and yeah. with chenard he's really doing his own thing yeah and he's he's such an anti-businessman i mean and, and yet he's, he's become so successful but he's he's the ultimate kind of curmudgeon i love that they'll repair <laughs> anything yeah yeah 
Yeah. And, and if you don't want it anymore, they'll either sell it yeah. or uh, dispose of it in, in an ethical fashion. Yeah. I, I thought it was great. So by all means, uh, it's uh, how I built this on, on NPR. It's easily Googled or, or grab it on the same app you're listening this to. And uh, it, it was great. I loved it. Yeah. And just an addendum to that, I heard him speak a few years ago. He was on a little book tour, which I'm sure he was very reluctant to do yeah. for his book, uh, Let My People Go Surfing, which is a good read. Pick it up. Uh, kind of sort of autobiographical, but sure. you know, he sort of recounts the, the same sorts of things about the building of Patagonia. So good stuff. Neat. Yeah, I'll, I'll close out. I've got a, a final note. Um, it was it was a kind of a longer article with some really incredible photography. It's an article called A Gathering of Giants. Oh, right, yeah. And it was by this um, underwater photographer uh, slash uh, writer named Tony Wu, W-U. Um, and we'll link to this in the show notes, as we always do. Uh, it was on a website called Maptia. Or, I don't know if that's pronouncing it correctly. It was an interesting article about um, this guy was out in the Indian Ocean, and he doesn't. he's very careful not to specify where, because I don't think he wants people going there because part of the discussion of this article was the sort of abuse of of whales in whale watching um, in how you know there's sort of this free-for-all in whale watching areas where you know there's sort of this unrestricted sort of orgy of boats small boats and big boats kind of harassing the whales when they're coming up from these very deep sounding dives that they do you know to thousands of feet to hunt for squid they come back up and they need like 54 breaths to kind of on average, to kind of replenish their wow. pulmonary system. And, and when these boats are harassing, they, they tend to kind of limit that and then dive and kind of escape away from all this harassment. But I think just the point of this article was this guy was was in the water um, shooting photos uh, on a very small scale with just like a little inflatable boat or something. He was out with some scientists. And, and they suddenly saw these sperm whales, which I think are really fascinating whales anyway. They're huge predators. Um, they were surfacing and, and uh, exhaling. And so they kind of motored over in front of them, and this guy jumped in the water with his camera. And he saw um, this congregation of, he said hundreds if not thousands, if you can picture this, of these 60-plus the foot sperm whales. The photos are unbelievable. Hundreds of sperm whales. Yeah. Like, he said they were kind of doing this dramatic sort of um, swimming together, kind of bumping each other and, and you know, making all sorts of noise. And, and it was just, uh, the photos were, were, the herd. were just incredible. Yeah. yeah. So check that out. Um, we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes. Good read, good photos. Um, I guess that's probably a good way to, good way to close out the show, given our, uh, uh, all of our discussion about lofty watches over here in Geneva. Yeah, for sure. So I would say uh, this is us signing off from our SIHH 2017 field report. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions about the watches, or really anything else, always send us an email at thegraynado at gmail.com and uh, we'll be in touch with a new episode in a couple weeks. So we'll chat to you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs>